Every great story has a beginning, a middle, and an end, but they're not always told in that exact order. This is not my story. This is his story, and his story is our history and future. I am not the hero. He's the hero, deserving of all the glory, and my part is but a 0.5 millisecond mark in the background of his movie. And my role is to point to the main star, who is the sun. There he is. Like a thief in the night, he arrives again. His bright burning eyes blaze with the bright hot intensity of a thousand suns. His head is pure winter snow and his voice, a roaring ocean, untamed and beautiful. He rides a white horse in unchallenged victory. He is called faithful and true. His robe is dipped in scarlet blood. And he pulls from his mouth a sword so sharp it can strike down whole nations in a single swing. Here, the angels sing, it is the return of the king who is the lion-like lamb and the lamb-like lion. And his immaculate feet crushes his enemies like grapes in a winepress as he fulfills the righteous wrath of God Almighty. His name is written for all to know and all to see, King of kings and Lord of lords. There he is. He rides a dumb donkey in humility. He eats and drinks and probably poops like you and me. He looks and talks like you and me. He is tempted and he is vulnerable like you and me, but he is perfect in all of his ways, perfect, absolutely perfect. And like a lamb to the slaughter, he carries a jagged cross through a mocking crowd. His face endures laughs and spit. He is called liar and crook. His skin is ripped in scarlet blood. And his hands and feet, they tremble as they are pierced with nails. He is hung on display like butchered meat because he chose to die for our faults and failures. His spirit takes our place, the place of his enemies, as he absorbs the righteous wrath of God Almighty. His name is written for all to know and all to see, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There he is. He arrives for the very first time, riding out of his mother's womb nakedly. He's born in meekness and placed in a smelly manger. He's not pampered nor privileged. This is God incarnate, God in the flesh, all power and authority in the universe contained in a single baby. His hands are so tiny, but his reach 
is so far. He is called Messiah and Emmanuel, and his heart is crypt in scarlet blood. He is made accessible, available, approachable to all. No group of guards, prevent, no group of guards prevent our going, getting to know him. No gates prevent our coming to him. His birth heralds good news of great joy for all people, including me, his enemy, as he will one day satisfy the righteous wrath of God Almighty. His name is written for all to know and all to see, King of kings and Lord of lords. We have joy because this man was born. We have life because this man was crucified. And we have hope because this man will return. This man, this man is Jesus. We enjoyed that. Well, joyful greetings. Uh, as always, my name is Patrick Fisher, and most of you already know this, but I like to repeat it over and over again because sometimes you guys forget or some people are new. But I am not the pastor of this church, nor am I a pastor, nor am I working to become a pastor. I'm up here because I'm a preacher and a teacher. And I am a healthy member of this church. And one of the ways that I love to serve this community is by using the gift of God that, that, that he's given me to serve you guys and to glorify him. The pastor of this church is Wilson Wang, and he's not here right now because he's in a retreat for Epic, which is one of the ministries that we partner with. And it's funny because uh, the last time that I was up here preaching, which was actually a while ago, uh, he was at a young adult retreat. So he always seems to trust me uh, on the days that he's not going to be here. He like, thinks that I won't say anything blasphemous. But little does he know, right? Okay. Uh, well, one, fact about, one fun fact about me before I get on with my message is that this is actually going to be my last sermon as a bachelor. Uh, I'm getting married in two weeks uh, to the famous Katie Kuo. Uh, yeah, so finally, I can start using marriage analogies and illustrations. Uh, you know, the wife illustrations that Wilson uses and all great other uh, preachers do. I told uh, Nina that in child's, children's ministry, and she was like, don't you love that? And she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so we've been in the book of John since December, and we're just going to get right into it now. Uh, so open up your Bibles to John chapter 17, verse 20 and 26. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, feel free to use your smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone, you could, or if you're, you know, you just... It's going to be on the screen, or you could share with a buddy. 
we're all one big community, right? We could share. Two weeks ago, uh, this, is, or, this is the third part of Jesus' one prayer. Two weeks ago, Wilson, he talked about how Jesus was praying for himself to be glorified. And the week after that, before, after that, before that, after that, yeah. uh, Jesus was praying for his disciples like Peter and John. And today, I'm going to be covering Jesus praying for all those that believe in him. So let's go. Verse 20. There you go. I do, not ask, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Okay, let's stop there. And I know you're like, what? That was only one verse? Uh, don't worry, we'll pick things up. But we can't miss this here. Jesus, he's praying for those who believe in him. He's praying for his believers. And last time I got up here, I actually talked about what true belief was. And I got on, and, uh, so what I did was I got on stage with a knife, which is probably why I haven't preached in a long time. <laughs> and I set up a stand with holding up a balloon. And I asked everyone in this room, some of you guys were there, so you guys remember. But I asked everyone in this room, how many of you guys believe that I can pop that balloon by throwing this knife from here, right? And about 90% of you guys raised your hands. Uh, Katie didn't raise her hand because she doesn't believe in me. <laughs> uh, but I remember uh, Daniel Warden, uh, he like, when he heard, when, he, when I asked the question, he like shot up his hand like really fast and he was like super confident and excited for me. Um, but then I asked the question, how many of you guys are willing to hold the balloon with your hands. And all the hands just dropped, including Daniel Warden. He's like... <laughs> and it dropped down to two people. And then after that, I asked the two people, How many, wh- which, which of you are willing to get the balloon and put it in between your teeth? And it dropped down to one person. Only one person kept his hand up. And so I got that one person, he came up here, he signed a liability form that cleared me and Renew Church from being sued, and he put the balloon in between his teeth, he turned sideways, because that's what you're supposed to do, Um, and I was preparing to throw the knife, uh, because I practice these things like a ninja, and I threw the knife, right, and that's why Jesse is missing an eye. I'm just kidding. Uh, he didn't really, I, didn't, I didn't really throw the knife, and he still has both his eyes. You can see him back there. But the whole point of all of that, the reason why I did that spectacle, was because how many people in that service, in that room, truly believed? Was it the 90% that, cl- that raised their hand and claimed to believe? Or was it that one guy that came up here and put the balloon in his mouth. A lot of people raised their hands and said they believe, but they really didn't. And I think that's because we take the word believe and we use it very lightly. We use it like, well, I kind of feel like you could do this and that, 
But when you actually believe in something, when you truly believe, your actions will show it. It'll be more concrete. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, in our belief about God, it has to be perfect and that there's no room for doubt. There is. But think about it. So many people say they believe in God. But how many people truly, truly believe? And maybe we should stop thinking about other people and and just think about ourselves. Do you truly believe in Jesus? Do you believe in everything that he is? Because in my spoken word, one of the reasons why I shared that was because I gave three images, three scenes of Jesus Christ. And all three images, all three scenes are from the Bible and are all him. Do you believe in him, in all of him? Or do you just believe the parts that you want to believe? Do you pick and choose? Do you, do you read your Bible and do you say, okay, yeah, Jesus loves, I, I like that, that's good. Um, oh, Jesus shows wrath, I don't like that, so I'm just going to take that out. And you just keep on going, right? And you're, you're picking and choosing what you want to believe about Jesus. And if you do that, You're not really believing in Jesus. You're believing in this fake Jesus that you made up. So do you believe in him? And if you do, then what comes next in this passage serves as a huge encouragement, as a joyful encouragement. But if you don't believe, then I I pray that you would pay attention to what Jesus Christ is saying right now. You would listen to his words. You would hear how he cares and loves and prays for his people. And that his words would move you, would move your heart to trust him and accept all of him. So let's move on. Verses 21 to 22. When you want to go there, you go. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be, be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. If you look at this, it's, it's a bit surprising, right? That Jesus Christ, in his prayer, in this great prayer, out of all the things he could have prayed for, what he chooses to pray for is that for his people to be united. It's for unity in his people. And so if this is important to Jesus back then, it's important to us right now. Jesus Christ, he's praying for unity that is not fabricated or centered on something that man does or thinks of. Because the world, 
They're trying to pursue unity themselves. We see it all around us in different groups and organizations, but it's all futile. No empire or nation is powerful enough. No social movement or trend is strong enough. Because real unity among sinful, fractured humans is only done by God. Therefore, true unity is a supernatural work. And as we draw near to him, as he draws us closer to him, we become more united. And this unity, it's modeled after God himself. God in his perfect community, God the Father, and God the Son, and the Holy Spirit of love in between them, where three distinct persons are one. And marriage, it serves as a reflection of this. You have two very distinct people, and they become one. And it's not only marriage that reflects this, but the church ought to reflect this as well. A group of diverse people, of unique individuals coming together and being one. And so just as God is united and diverse, so are we. But people, people think that unity is conformity, but it's not. Unity isn't that we should all be the same in everything. That, that's uniformity, not unity. I mean, imagine it. How weird would it be if everyone looked and talked like me, right? Like if people went around saying, joyful greetings. I mean, I think that would be pretty cool, but no, I, I would even find that weird, right? And I mean, to be honest, like at my school that I teach at, I'm a private school teacher, and some of my students... They do, they talk like me. They, they imitate the way I speak sometimes, uh, out of respect, obviously. <laughs> and they'll say things like joyful greetings. Um, and I do find joy in that. But even more so, I find more joy when I help a student figure out and understand and be more of who God has made them to uniquely be. When we are diverse as God has made us to be, yet united as God is calling us to be, what happens is the world, people will look at that and they'll be baffled. They'll be astonished because the world, for the first time, will see true and genuine unity. They will see a supernatural work that points and demands a supernatural explanation, and that explanation is Jesus Christ himself. Now this unity, it does not happen automatically. And to be honest, it's, it's far from easy. It must be worked at. Just as a man and woman work together to become one in marriage, there must be this grace-driven commitment to oneness. 
an ongoing commitment to love and to communicate, to forgive and to carry one another's burdens, to share our souls, to spend time together, to have the deepest relationship possible in body, mind, and soul. This unity, it is not easy, but it's made possible because of Christ, and it's absolutely beautiful. And the best part of this unity isn't that we as humans come together and you're united with one another. But for me, the best part is that we get to be united with God. And this unity, it's intimacy. Next verse. Verse 23a. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. I, I get asked a lot of questions. I get asked questions like, hey, Patrick, how do you know God exists? How do you know he's real? How do you know something is God's work and not just a coincidence? And on and on those type of questions go. And they aren't wrong questions. If you have those questions, please ask them. But to be honest, it's kind of hard for me to answer that question sometimes. Not because I don't have intellectual evidence or because I don't have logical arguments to prove and defend why God exists. But it's because, look, If someone came up to me and asked me, hey, Patrick, how do you know Katie is real? How do you know that she really loves you, that you have a real relationship with her? How do you know she exists? I know it because I I just do. I have a real relationship with her. I just know her and she knows me. My mind doesn't have to go to logical arguments like, well, if you look at the third law of thermodynamics, you could see that her body is so-and-so, right? No, I don't do that. And so in the same way, when I talk about God, when I come up here or any other time I'm talking about God, I'm not talking about him as if he's a concept or an idea, I'm talking to him as if he's a person, a real being, and that's because he is. And when I talk to him, it's as real to me as if I'm talking to you guys right now. I know he hears me, and that's because he really is real. He's real. And I had this great relationship with him, not because I'm awesome, because Christ has made it possible. I in him and he in me. I am his and he is mine. That is true intimacy. That is the best intimacy. And so, moving on to the last part, the end, there's a question to ask. 
how much do you think God the Father loves Jesus Christ the Son? How much do you think God the Father loves His Son, Jesus Christ? In children's ministry, one of the girls said, a lot, right? A, a large amount. Uh, and then one of them shared about this video that they saw where they just really saw uh, this, like, it was like a, based off of a movie, and you saw this great illustration of like how, like, how God the Father loves the Son. He gr- was grieving when he, when he saw his Son dying on the cross. Right? It, was just, it was this perfect love, Right? You would say that God the Father loves Jesus Christ with this perfect love. And that's why this, this verse 23 and the rest of this ver- these verses are so crazy. And if I'm honest, it's difficult even for me to fully believe sometimes. So let's read it. Verses 23b to 26. so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Did you guys see it? Verse 23, Jesus Christ says, Father, you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That even as, it means just as. It means to the same degree. It means equal to. Get that. The Father loves us just as he loves Jesus Christ, the Son, the Father loves us to the same degree that he loves Jesus. The Father loves us equal to how much he loves Jesus. I read that and my mind is blown. My heart is amazed. And again, if I'm honest, it's a struggle to believe that. Because so many times I feel and think, no, that, that verse shouldn't say that. that. That verse should read, you know, the Father loves Jesus, and then you cut that in half or something less, uh, something smaller, um, and hopefully... That's how much the Father loves me. Because, I mean, that's how I feel sometimes. But you got to get this. You got to know this to be true. God loves you. 
He loves you. He loves you more than your wife will ever love you, more than your husband will ever love you. He loves you more than your kids will ever love you, more than your mom, your dad, or any friend, girlfriend, boyfriend, anyone else. He loves you. He is absolutely crazy about you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to save you from the wrath, the eternal hell that you deserve. Do you understand how amazing that is? Do you understand how wicked you were? How much you rebelled and how you sinned against him? And yet, he loves you in the midst of all of that. And I, I stand here, right? And I know, I know I can preach for hours and I can say poetry for days. And with all of my strength and words and power by myself, I can't make you guys understand this. I can't make you guys understand God's love. Only God can make it known. Only he can make known his love as Jesus makes known the name of the Father to you. And so, I want to close with this. As a teacher, I I read this passage and I look for points to preach. And as a poet, I read the passage and I look for passion to proclaim. And so I started off my message with a poem, and I want to end it with a prayer. And there's no better prayer to pray than the one that Jesus Christ has for us. So I want to read read it one more time. And after that, there's going to be a discussion question on the screen. It's a very simple question, and I want you guys to share your answer with someone next to you. Pray together take communion together, be united. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire so much that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name 
and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them.